0: Well, good morning. Good morning. The uh, The connection card is that thing in your bulletin uh, that asks for your address and email and all that, and definitely write on there if you'd like to be a part of the small group uh, and we'll get to you. Uh, also, in several weeks, we're going to kind of do a, one of the groups we're going to be doing is a history book club. And so if you like history and like books and, uh, and things like that, then we'd love for you to come to that. It'll be about every six to eight weeks, depending on how big the book is, whether it's, you know, 20 pages or 30 pages Uh, and the book that we're going to start with is this book called uh, C.S. Lewis in a Time of War and you get to learn about the BBC and World War II and C.S. Lewis and things like that. And So if you're interested we've got that for sale at the welcome table that you'll see on your way out. So just look to grab that um, on your way out and let's go ahead and pray and then we'll just we're going to dive in first thing this morning. So let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we would just thank you for the chance to meet and the chance to fellowship, uh, the chance to just try and put our life in perspective and to know what you would have for us. And we would just pray that for this time, that you would open our eyes, that we would see things more clearly and we'd walk out of here excited about our relationship with you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, what we're going to do this Sunday and next Sunday is we're going to do a two- Uh, a two-part series. It was a one-sermon deal, and then in getting ready for it this week, it kind of turned into two sermons. So uh, what it is called is it's called Come and Die, uh, What Jesus Says About Following Jesus, What Jesus Says About Following Jesus. And the whole idea here is that the message I got growing up about Jesus was that he was some kind of mamby-pamby Tame, meek, weird guy, and if you were uh, didn't have anything else going, you might as well just add Jesus to whatever's happening in your life, and just pray a prayer and just kind of take that on because what does it really matter anyways? And that was the view of it. So the view of Christ I had um, up until I was about 22 was the picture of of Jesus with the blue eyes, you know, and it looks like he's watching a Disney movie. Um, that was the picture I had of Jesus. And then, at age twenty two when I read the New Testament and really got in there, what I saw was something totally different. It was a picture of a man who was who was wild and masculine uh, and didn't need me, wanted me but didn't need me the kind of guy who could go into a marketplace after braiding together a whip and separate grown men from their money and, and if If you can just picture that one man by himself separating grown men from their money, he's a guy that, that was not mamby-pamby. And so what I felt like when I read the New Testament and what Jesus said about following Jesus, I felt like I'd been suckered. Have you ever felt like a sucker? Have you ever read like an, uh, one of those emails um, that, that travels through the Internet and you're like, no way, and you forward it to everybody else and then someone comes back to you because they've been on truthorfiction.com? And they realize you've been a sucker, and they tell you, and you're just like, "Oh, I hope, I hope all those people I sent it to don't realize that I was wrong." You know, I'm really embarrassed. I can't get it back, and and that's what it means to be a sucker when you believe something that someone tells you, and you find out that it's just incorrect, um, and it's so incorrect that it's kind of laughable or silly. And so when I read the New Testament, I felt like a sucker. It bugged me. I was mad. And so what we're doing is starting off with uh, what Jesus says about following Jesus because I don't want you guys um, to be suckers. I don't want us to, to accept some view of Jesus that's not accurate with what the Scriptures teach us or what Jesus himself taught. And so I didn't like being a sucker, and so if, if we don't communicate what Jesus said, uh, I'm going to be doing the exact same thing that I didn't like what people did to me. So we're just going to look at what Jesus says about following jesus and the first thing here is if you'll turn to matthew chapter 16 and we're trying to get the lighting a little bit better for you this week so hopefully you can see uh last week it was a little darker than we expected but the first thing here matthew chapter 16 and i'll start reading in verse 24 matthew 16 verse 24 first book in the new testament And here's the point, if you're keeping track. Jesus said, come and die. Jesus said, come and die. And let's read. Then Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? And so the first thing here is Jesus says, come and die. You come to me and you take up a cross. And the whole idea in that day is across the whole countryside, the Romans would make examples of people and they would put them on a wooden cross. They would crucify them and it was an excruciating death. And and the whole idea here is if you're gonna take up your cross, you're laying aside your life. And you're gonna you're gonna shoulder a cross and you're going in a sense to your death. Come and die. And so there's a famous quote from Jim Elliot who says he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He's no fool to give what he cannot keep to gain what what he cannot lose. And so the, the idea here is Jesus is saying, when you come to me, you put aside your life and you take up something completely different. Come and die. We're going to move along quickly to the second one. Jesus says this, and, and you're going to have to bear with me. I thought about toning down how I'm saying this and then I decided not to. Um, Jesus said, eat me. Um, so turn to John chapter 6. Turn to John chapter 6, and we'll start in verse 41, and let me just set the context. Uh, I'm sure you're one of the the stories that's pretty common about the New Testament, so even if you haven't read the New Testament, you're probably familiar with the story, and it's simply the story of Jesus feeding multitudes of people. And so you've got a lot of people, a lot of them are, are poor Uh, food is not as easy as just going down to the grocery store and and picking up a loaf of bread they don't have preservatives Um, so food's a tough thing to come by and Jesus feeds all these people and so they're pretty excited about what Jesus did for them and so now they track Jesus down the next day and Jesus says this Uh, he'd said, I don't want to read the whole thing. So he said a bunch of things about being the bread of life, and the Jews are grumbling about this. What what does he mean by the bread of life? And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? Again, John chapter 6, now we're in verse 43. Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. And no one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. He kind of says, eat me here, but listen to how it continues. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Okay, it's every bit as shocking to them as it is when I say, Jesus said, eat me. Okay, He's saying that to them, and they're starting to go, this is weird, this is silly, this is stupid. This, what does this have to do with, with God? What does this have to do with feeding us? What does this have to do with teaching us? This is weird. And so they grumble more, and Jesus doesn't back off. Jesus doesn't back off. He says it even stronger. Listen, I tell you the truth. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Eat me. For my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. And whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. <laughs> what do you say about that kind of teaching? It's odd. It's awkward. Look at what it produced. Have you ever watched TBN? Uh, you know the, the, you know what TBN is, right? The Religious Channel. Um, and every once in a while, you'll catch a sermon from some guy that's got like 50,000 people in some big stadium. Uh, and he smiles real big and blinks his eyes a lot and, and tells a lot of cute jokes. And it's really fun to listen to it. And his church grows bigger and bigger and bigger. Well, listen to what happens to Jesus. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is hard teaching, Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. And then we skip down, verse 66. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. How's that for church growth, right? There's nothing mamby-pamby about this. Jesus has this big crowd, and anyone would walk up to that and say, wow, that's exciting. And if he keeps doing what he's doing, this crowd is going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to be like a mega church. And Jesus says to them, eat me. And he doesn't back off, and he drives it home, and almost all of them leave. Look how many leave. Verse 67, you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the 12. So many people leave that he looks at like his best friends, this close little circle, and says, you guys going to leave too? How's that for church growth? Now what's going on here is, is this, I think they're missing the main thing for kind of what's flashy. Jesus is bringing them food, and he's taking care of their needs, and they're getting so excited about that that they miss what they really need, and that's Jesus himself. And so here's how I would put it. Um, None of us know what the ice cream man looks like. We don't know what he looks like. If we got the best police sketch artists in the world in here, and we put all of us together, we're not going to come up with a single profile of an ice cream man. Unless you have an Uncle Harry or someone that's an ice cream man. That's cheating, though. Nobody knows what the ice cream man looks like. You don't remember that. Why? Because the ice cream man sticks his head out of the ice cream truck. And the ice cream, or van, right? Scary looking things. Uh, The ice cream van has pictures of what all over it yeah and so you're a little kid you go up and all you can see are these big posters and it's just like what do i get and i got the buck 50 and oh i'm gonna get something and then you you get that drumstick and you know you start peeling off that wrapper and you're just all excited and you don't remember what the ice cream man looks like and that's what i think jesus is saying here saying i'm not the ice cream man Don't worry about eating the ice cream. Eat me. Don't just see this stuff. See me. Don't get distracted from what's really important. I'm the thing that's important, not what I can give you. Don't miss what is greater for what is lesser. So Jesus, the first thing he says is come and die. The second thing that I honestly believe he said to these people was eat me. The third thing is this, Jesus said, all or nothing. Jesus said, all or nothing. So if you'll turn with me to Matthew chapter 19, it's another familiar story. And we'll see what we mean by that. In verse 16, so Matthew 19, verse 16, there's this uh, rich guy who's got his act together, I mean, he's got his, you know, L.A. fitness membership, um, and he dresses sharp, and he, you know, he's got everything dialed in tight. Goes to church, um, probably gives his offering, all these things. He's got it in, you know, he's got it dialed in tight. And, you know, I, I mean, there was a time when I had a little bit of money in investments, like a little bit of money. Um, now I don't, so I don't even think about it. But it was really fun back then. Like, I had it in Quicken, and, and all this other stuff. And every day it would automatically go find it on the internet. And it would show me what was going on. Um, and it was just really exciting. Do you know when things are going well in your life, you like to look at your life more? Have you ever noticed that? And so, I mean, this guy's life is going really well. And he likes looking at the Quicken thing. And he likes looking at pictures of himself. He's photogenic. And, and so he wants to look at himself more. It's fun to talk about because it's all dialed in. And so he goes up to Jesus having it all dialed in, and he says this, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? And Jesus says this, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. So Jesus is already tipping his hand here. You shouldn't be looking at your portfolio or your pictures or getting all excited about how packaged you are. You should be looking at God. Because you know what? He's got, a, he's got more going for him than you got going for you. And you should be looking to say, how do I get on that guy's team not thinking, my team of one is, is pretty well put together. So Jesus is already starting to take us down the right direction. Verse 18, the guy asks, which ones? Which are the commandments? And Jesus replies, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother. And love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the great line, right? All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? I, I'm doing it all. It's all together. Just tell me I'm going to heaven. Tell me I've got salvation. Uh, put your stamp of approval on it so I can feel even better about kind of what I've put together here. I've done all these, the young man says. Verse 21, Jesus answers If you want to be perfect, Go sell your possessions and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. And the young man heard this and he went away sad because he had great wealth. And so then Jesus turns to his disciples and he says this, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. So this guy comes to Jesus and says, I've got the whole package. Give me your stamp of approval. Tell me, is there anything I still lack? And Jesus says, give up the package. All or nothing. Now, it was funny back in college... At Clemson, you know, nobody had anything to do with their time, uh, and so I, I was uh, somewhere yesterday and I saw a Clemson football game, and so it kind of made me really nostalgic. It was, you know, I spent a lot of times with those football games and stuff like that. So I was thinking about college, and there was a thing about those guys that always had to have a girlfriend. You know, there was, I had a roommate once. I mean, he always had to have a girlfriend, and there would come a time in these these. uh Dating relationships where one person would want more than say the other person, and uh, it's funny because you know the immature type things. And so the guy would come in and he'd he'd give an all or nothing clause. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. All or nothing. It's either him or it's me or it's either you know you you know make up your mind. All or nothing. And the minute I heard that, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't usually go too well. The all or nothing, because what. What happens is when you have to give an all or nothing ultimatum, you're usually talking to a person that hasn't yet made up their mind. And you're trying to push them, right? They're still torn between two things, and you're having to push them, and you're, you're getting impatient, so you say all or nothing, and it usually goes to nothing. Well, Jesus is in this situation, and he's not immature, and he's not impatient. He just speaks truth, and he doesn't back down. And so this guy comes to him and Jesus says, all or nothing. It's your choice. But I'm going to force you to make a decision. You can't think you've got it all together. I'm going to force you to realize there's something you're not willing to do. You're not willing to, to truly follow God or let go of everything. You're not really willing to put it out and say, my hands are open, God. All that I have is yours. All that I am is yours. So Jesus says, all or nothing. There's a cost to following Jesus. And the interesting thing about a cost is you usually have to let go of something. And so we've all got something in our life or we did at some point that we really want to hold on to. And the way that you the way that you tell people what they want to hear if you're in the Christian world, or if you're a pastor, is you simply say, add Jesus to what you got. You tell people what the rich young ruler wanted to hear. Wow, you, you look pretty good. You get five stars. Um, just add Jesus to that. Pray this prayer. Wear a cross, whatever. Just add Jesus, and and man, you're, you're pretty well put together. Be a part of my church. <laughs> And what Jesus would say, what Jesus did say is, you know what? What you got's nothing compared to God. And what you need is not me to follow you, but for you to follow me. Jesus never begged people to follow him. He never treated them like they were more important than he was. Have you ever seen someone beg? Who's the lesser of the two people? It's the person begging, right? I need you to follow me, so I'm going to beg for it. Please, just acquiesce, right? And Jesus never did that. Why? Because he is higher than we are. He's more important than we are. He's not going to beg. We're the ones that have to make the decision to follow. And he's not going to compromise on the conditions. And so Jesus comes along, and Jesus says all or nothing, and in your life, either there was or there is something you've got to let go of. And Jesus might give it back to you. Because remember, if you lose your life, you will find it. Uh, I love small towns with, with ski mountains. I, I almost dropped out of college um, two years in because I, I went to Breckenridge for a week. And I had a job lined out, a place to stay. And, and my parents sitting right there don't know this. Um, and, and I was going to stay in Breckenridge and drop out of school. And I was raised in a good enough family that I couldn't figure out how to break it to them. So I went back to school. Um, that's what you know. A good family does positive peer pressure. Um, but I love towns like Bend. When I became a Christian, the hardest thing for me to do was open up my hands and say, "Okay, God, you want me to go minister to people." Well, where do people live? Ouch! They live in the city, <laughs> and so I went to L.A where there's smog. So for the first two months, I felt claustrophobic. It's like, you know, you can't escape it. And everywhere you go, it's just there, and you freak out. Pretty soon, your spirit dies, and, and you, you, you press on, right? Um, <laughs> but I thought I was going to have to live in L.A. And then God brought me this wife from Central Oregon, and then, you know, he arranged, he orchestrated this this great escape, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And he gave me back my heart's desire. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desire. So when I'm saying there's a cost and you got to give it up, you might get it back, but you usually don't know it when you're giving it up. And it might be your money or your dreams or your time or some of your relationships. It might be anger or bitterness Or frustration or hatred that you've just held on to and you can't let go. But you cannot give yourself to God because you want to hold on to this thing more than you want to let it go. And so we all have this thing that's got an allure to it. And unfortunately, all of us fit the rich category. I saw a great sermon this week on DVD. And this guy took two dollar bills. And he wadded them up and he threw them at, at the crowd. And then he's like, that's the funniest thing ever. And they're like, what, what do you mean? he says, you know what? The average that people in the world live off of per day, the average wage that they live off of per day is $2. He goes, I just threw $2 at you. And you guys were all like dodging it. Like, ah, you know, ooh, don't let it touch me. you know." And he says, look it, there's, there's dollar bills on the floor from the, 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 the services. There's like three services at that church. I mean, no one jumps for a dollar. But the rest of the world, that's what they make in a day. If Jesus, you know, if if that same guy had thrown a couple hundred dollar bills at us, we might have like reached across somebody, you know? I mean, we'll dive across five rows of chairs to catch a a baseball at a game. But if a dollar bill gets thrown at us, what people live off of gets thrown at us, we'll just kind of duck. And then we might pick it up. We fit the rich category. It's so hard for us to be saved that if Jesus were here right now, he'd look right at us and say, I can't tell you a bunch of positive things that's going to make you walk away feeling really good. What I need to tell you is it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for you Americans, you people living in Bend, to find salvation because it's so hard to let go of all the things we have. And so I'm going to show a video clip here that Kind of illustrates it and then we'll unpack it a little bit more. Elsa, Elsa, don't Elsa, Elsa. Elsa. Your other hand, honey, I can't hold you! I can reach it. I can reach it. Give me your hand, give me your other hand. <laughs> hey, <help me>. ah! <laughs> Junior, give me your other hand! I can't hold on! I can get it. I can almost reach it, Dad. Indiana, Indiana, let it go. To me, that's there couldn't be a better Hollywood moment for what we're talking about. Right, that cup is the thing that you want, and you're you're torn between two between two things and Jesus is saying, you can't have both it's all or nothing, and the closer you are to that cup, what the harder it is to let go, and so we could pick you know i it'd be actually kind of i don't know if it'd be that fun, but we could take like a five hour church session and we could Uh, Run each of us up here and put us kind of on the spotlight And every single one of us in the stands Because we're always better armchair quarterbacks, aren't we? Everyone in the stands could pick apart the person standing here and say That is so stupid that you're trying to hang on to this Let it go And then as soon as we get up here, guess what? It's like the position's reversed All of a sudden, now Indiana Jones is saying, let it go Two seconds later, he's going, I can reach it We can tell other people to let it go so much easier than we can tell ourselves to let it go. It's hard for the rich to let go. Why? Because the closer we are to something, the more we think, I can make this work. I can have both. And so I want to get a t-shirt with Sean Connery's face there when he just says, let it go. Okay? We have a cliche in American. it's called this, sitting on the fence, torn between two things. Now, that makes sense. Like, when you're sitting on a fence, it means you're half in, half out, kind of a deal. And when you're talking about prime rib, prime rib or, or like a T-bone, oh, you know, which do you go with, right? Or uh, watch a Cowboys game or, or play a, a game of Settlers of Catan, you know, um, Wow, how do you decide between those two things? And what Jesus is coming along and saying is, you don't understand what's going on. You're treating salvation and God like, like he's kind of in the mix, and wow, well, my portfolio, or these things that give me pleasure at night, my anger, or my bitterness, or uh, my friends are more important, or my dreams are more important, or my aspirations are more important. And this hits home for me. I'm, I've kind of got an entrepreneurial personality. This church has become my life, right? And so I, I kind of sometimes throw it in the balance. It's God in, in Antioch and Antioch, and this is so important, and this is nothing. And so we put this, these scales, and we get caught in the middle. Why can't I have both? And God says, let it go. You don't understand what's really going on. Riding the fence or being torn between two options is okay when you're talking about prime rib or t-bone okay but you are lost over here and there's a shepherd looking to lead you over here lay down your life you are gonna die over here and there's a savior who wants to save you let it go and on, on this kind of a scale, being half in, is, it makes about as much sense as being like half in your car, right? I mean, can you imagine someone driving down the road and they're like half out of their car and, and uh, wow, well, I'm torn between the two options here. What are you what are you stupid? You know, or like putting on your underwear like halfway. It's like, what, what's going on here? This isn't the kind of thing you're supposed to be torn about or riding the fence about. There's something you need to let go of, and there's something you just need to accept. That's where life is going to be. That's where wholeness is going to be. That's where you're going to be clothed, okay? And so Jesus forces us to make this decision that we all know is a scary thing. Whenever you put it to somebody and say, all or nothing, wow, things are going to change today. This couple's either going to break up or they're going to be together. But today will not pass without something major happening. And, and Jesus, do you really have to push it so much? Just give this guy more time. Just, just pat him on the back and say, well, you are doing pretty good. Jesus doesn't do that. He forces us to make a decision. It's all or nothing. And so here's the last picture that, that I've got for it. Because when you let go of something to put all your trust in something else, You are exposed. You're all in to this thing. Well, what if this thing doesn't carry you? What if this thing doesn't pull you through? It's a risk. And that's what we mean by faith, that you're saved through faith. But it's not the kind of thing where you find out in five minutes if it pulled you out, right? It's kind of a bigger deal than that. And so what Jesus is coming along and he's saying, you've got chips, to so this is a gambling analogy um, in church. Uh, I've never uh, watched gambling or anything like that. But what they do, see, is they've got the chips. <laughs> they've got the playing table. And when they get the cards, they look at it. And they either they assign trust to these cards. I either believe that this hand dealt me is going to bring it home for me, or it's not going to bring it home for me, and I just fold. Or I'm kind of lost in the middle. And when you're lost in your middle, you do something, or they do something called hedge your bets. You know, you kind of go a little bit in, just a little bit of chips in. But if I lose, guess what? i still got my pot. I've got all these chips. And so we kind of do that with Jesus. Instead of following him 100%, we hedge our bets. We kind of go halfway. I'll give God this much, I'm going to hang on to this much. Because if he doesn't deliver, at least, you know, I've got these things to make me happy. And Jesus looks at us and says, no, nah, that doesn't cut it. This is the God question. And you're, it's, it's either all or nothing. You're either all in or you're not in at all. So what Jesus wants us to do is take all those stacks of chips and push them all to the middle of the table so we, we've got nothing left got nothing in our hands there's nothing behind our back there's nothing we're holding on to we've kind of put it all out and we're standing like this and saying all that i am all that i have all that i can do all that i can be i've put it all out there god i'm yours i've given away my life and i'm i'm gonna trust you to give it back to me now if you lose your life for my sake you'll find it if you try and hang on to it hedge your bets you're going to lose your life. And so Jesus doesn't want this rich young man to be deluded. He doesn't want to treat him like a sucker. He doesn't want to teach him something that's not true. And so he exposes the guy and says, you've got your finger on that cup. It's too valuable for you. You, you think you can have it so much, you're looking for, for this too. And I'm telling you, you've got to make your choice between the two. Let go, Indiana. And so he counsels us to let go. Here's the final quote, and I love it, from a, uh, a really funny British writer by the name of G.K. Chesterton, uh, who was at the beginning of this last century. And he says this, It's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanting. It's not that people have put all the chips in and tried it and it's been found wanting. It's kind of failed them. Rather, it's that Christianity has been found difficult and left untried. It's not that it's been tried and found wanting. It's that it's been found difficult and left untried. So what's the temptation for people in my position? To try and remove some of the difficulty... Well, that's a big step for people, and I want my church to grow. Well, let me try and, and bring it down here and make it easier so that they'll try Christianity. And so I'll, the temptation is to give people a version of what it means to follow Jesus that's different from what Jesus says about following Jesus. And I'd rather have his version. And Jesus says, man, it's a high bar. And it's going to take commitment and faith, but it's all or nothing. Come and die. Eat me. I'm not the ice cream man. Don't lose sight of me here. And it's all or nothing. It's a high bar. And he says, you know what? It's better to, to just show your cards up front and let people know what they're in for. It's better to just tell them, this is going to be a tough climb for you. But it's the best decision you'll ever make. Than to try and alter the message somehow and kind of baby people along, because sooner or later they're going to realize, wait a second, this isn't what I signed on for. This isn't what I thought it was. It's better to just leave that difficulty there and let us try and reach it, because then we can start reaping the benefits. It's not that Christianity has been been tried and found wanting. It's that it has been found difficult and left untried. It hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. Father, may we see you behind the difficulty. May we realize that it's a, a big leap to let go of some of the comforts, some of the security blankets. But may we see you reaching down and trying to pull us up. And may we let go Of these things that are so small in comparison with you. Let us not think that the things of this world and our dreams and everything else are on par with you and and be torn in the middle. Let us see things for what they are. Let us hunger for our relationship with you. Let us be willing to leave it all or put all the chips in the middle because you promise us that you're faithful. When we follow you, we're not backing the wrong horse. We're putting our chips in the best place where they can be put. Father, give us the ability to trust in Christ's name.